Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to come to you once again on this Monday, January the 25th of 2021. This is the beginning of a new week, and as always, it excites us um, in the sense anytime that we can come and, and study the Word of God together, especially in such a time like this. It is a delight for my brothers who are joining me today, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, as always, to come together and, and study the Word of God with each and every one of you. And we want to welcome our listeners, uh, wherever you are tuning in from. We know that it is the Holy Spirit that has bring, brought us together. It is that hunger that God has placed in your heart that has drawn you, whether it's for the first time, for the second, whether you've been with us uh, for a long time, you know, and we have come to understand that the reason why we come together, this is more needed than ever before. And we look to study the word of God, not in a thema uh, thematical way, not in a textual way, not just in a way of just, uh, let's see what we can talk about today. No, it's to look at it from a prophetic lens, what God is saying in this hour. And we have seen a lot of things take place Especially, we just uh, went through 2020, so many things that the Lord has shown us, and 2021 has already begun, and much more is happening. So I am excited about the Word of God today, to study it along with you all, and uh, we pray that your hearts are open and your spirits are willing to receive what God has for us today. So Brother Marty, we will leave it to you uh, to share what God has placed in your heart as we discuss, as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We welcome you all to another week in the Lord. We're looking forward to all that he is going to continue to reveal to us this week by his precious Holy Spirit and by his grace. We pray you had a good weekend, and we're going to get into the Word today. Uh, we're settling in now. Uh, the events of the election, the uh, the new uh, administration and, and all that's uh, changed, not only here, but around the world. And we hope that you're paying attention to the things that are happening around us. Um, but now we're going to settle in. We've, we've, uh, we've bore down the last several weeks on, uh, on, on the events leading up to this. But now we're going to continue as the Lord leads us to look into things of the scripture. And of course, we'll deal with current events as they uh, begin to to be in, in our face, so to speak. There's a lot we could go on to, but but I think the next thing on the horizon in the in the, in the years that are ahead is the, is the return of the Lord. And we have several years quite possibly before that happens, but we do know from prophetic scriptures how it will unfold. And so we're going to look at many and, and varying topics along the way. And this, this podcast is primarily uh, a, a, you know, a podcast that's designed to explore prophecy and prophetic scripture and the reason that we emphasize that one is people have a lot of questions two um it is what the bible tells us in revelation 19 that the testimony of jesus really is it is the spirit of prophecy and so from genesis to revelation that is our task that is our endeavor we are commanded by the word of god to search the scriptures but specifically to find the testimony of jesus it lets us know in the stories uh, throughout the scripture that there's pattern, there's flow, 
there's revelation, but all of it has to be tied to the Lord in some way or another, because if it isn't, then it's not the word of God and our interpretations are incorrect. And so with that in mind, we're going to begin this week by examining one of the parables that Jesus spoke just before he he uh, rebuked the leadership. We're going to be coming to you from Matthew chapter 22 today. I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy if he would uh, begin reading for us today. We're actually going to look at all of this parable, but I want to pick it up primarily where we're going to center our focus on after we do a brief overview getting to this point. So uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, join us uh, and, and, and pull up a chair, as it were, and open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 22 as we examine uh, the parable that Jesus sets forth here. Uh, and we'll begin reading in verse 11 and 12. Let's start with verse 10. That's a good good place to start. It's right in the middle, near the end, middle of the uh, of the parable there. And, uh, and we'll read verse 10 through 12. And we ask God's grace to be upon us and the Holy Spirit to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the Lord be glorified. Brother Jeremy. Amen. So those servants went out into the highway and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless amen so he said to him in verse 12 friend how is it that you don't have a wedding garment and then the response was speechlessness so we're going to look into this and 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 today uh, by the spirit of the lord explore these things that jesus was revealing here but we're going to ask the question here in, in a second or two who is this person he calls friend what did he mean by that? It's an unusual phrase because his ultimate destiny is to be bound hand and foot and cast into outer darkness, so we, which we'll see here in a second. But we're going to look at something I think pretty interesting and, and what it was Jesus was, was saying in a very uh, you know, mysterious way as he spoke to the leadership of his day. So we'll start, you know, from the beginning, but but we need to understand that prophecy is is a cycle. It it, it seems to repeat itself, you know, and we we hear the phrase in our times, right, that that history repeats itself. Well, that's no accident that people say that because that is exactly what happens. It seems like men are constantly replaying things that have always been, you know, whether it's the rise and fall of kingdoms or or even in <laughs> until the Lord helps us in our own personal life, uh, you know, we, we, we repeat, you know, patterns in, of behavior and, and, and in, the, in the historical context, you know, history is repeated. But primarily what we focus on is the prophetic cycle. You know, it seems to start as a small thing, but as history repeats itself in the context of the prophetic Bible prophecy, it enlarges throughout the generations. And so when we pick up this story here, Jesus begins to tell a parable. He's come into Jerusalem. It's Passover time. We've talked about it before. And he cleanses the temple. 
and sets things in order because he's about to sit down and teach for the final few few days of his public ministry. Everything has come to this point. He's just a day a few days away from from leaving the temple permanently. That's what you'll find in chapter 23. Uh, when he concludes chapter 23, he, he concludes it with the statement to the, the ruling elite of his day, those that were in charge of the temple, by telling them, you will not see me here in this temple or in Jerusalem again until you cry, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. A messianic reference. That's what he was saying to them, and they knew it which is extraordinary when you think about it. But the final days of his public ministry, he came into the temple and he took up residence there in fulfillment of Malachi chapter three, right? Where where the, the prophet Malachi warned them and told them, one, there would be a messenger that would be sent ahead of the coming of the Messiah that was fulfilled by John the Baptist. And then two, uh, the Lord of the covenant, which is the Lord Jesus Christ would suddenly come to his temple and what he was going to do was sit as a refining fire and a fuller soap in order to purify the sons of Levi. The refining fire speaks of judgment. The fuller soap is the cleansing of the gospel that would come. But for Israel, there remaineth yet a cleansing. The fire has fallen on them. But, you know, the last 2,000 years of, of their uh, wandering throughout the world concluded in 1948 when they were regathered after a 2000 year period. And so that kind of refining fire has, in, my, in many ways, it has not concluded in the sense that there will be no more refinement. It's just that aspect of the judgment of God that came to pass on them, which he's about to refer and tell them is about to happen in this story. Um, that aspect of it had ended. There yet remaineth a refinement. There is yet a fire coming the crucible, if you will, uh, of the times, the prophetic times, which will culminate in Jerusalem, which will be the very catalyst that causes them as a people, as a whole, the Bible says, through the spirit of grace and supplication being poured out upon them. You can read that in Zechariah's prophecy somewhere in 9 and 10 in there, uh, chapter 9 and 10, where he begins to tell them that in the final days that Jerusalem will be surrounded and that he will pour out his spirit of grace and supplication upon them. And by that grace and supplication, they will begin to have a revelation given to them by the spirit. Because what they're going to figure out, and, and many of them haven't yet, although we know that the Lord is coming soon, because many of the Jews from the reports that we get uh, are being saved in Israel. Many are getting saved around the world. There's a messianic movement taking place amongst natural Israel, if you will. But still, by and large, they're, they're a small minority. But the fact that we see them coming to the Messiah is a great indication to us that the times are here now and that it's not that far ahead of us, uh, you know, in, in, in the ensuing years uh, that, uh, that the Lord uh, will return. He's coming mm -hmm. back. So w these are all signs that we're seeing. So there remains a fire that's yet going to be poured out upon them. And it's up under that heat and that and that fire that they will suddenly be given this spirit of grace and supplication the Bible talks about, and they'll turn to the Lord. And the Bible says their eyes will be opened. They will look upon him whom they pierced. That's what it says, whom they crucified, their fathers crucified, really. And they will begin uh, to mourn for him in bitterness as one mourns for their only son. And they will eventually turn to him 
and 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 ask him to return in fulfillment of what he told them in Matthew 23 that they wouldn't see him until they do that. So we know that's going to happen. And when we talk about cycles and prophetic patterns, we use that example, for example, of Joseph in Egypt, right? Sent ahead of his brothers. He goes into the world just like Jesus. His brothers hated him. And uh, they threw him in a pit, right? They, they, uh, and then they went and told their father that he had died. They put blood on his garment. And for many, many years, he was no longer, uh, you know, in their collective consciousness, in, 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 in their presence. But at the end of time, which is a prophetic foreshadow of the end of time, a famine hits the world. And they begin to, to, to go and look for food. And it's there that he progressively reveals himself to them. That is Joseph who's a type of Christ. Ultimately, he reveals himself completely, and they all weep together as they're reunited. This tells the story in that, you know, account in Egypt of what's going to happen, happen at the end of time. They will once again be reunited with their brothers. And like Joseph's servants, uh, you know, we too will be rejoicing and glad. Make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, there's a whole movement taking place amongst certain circles within the so-called Christian church that has turned its attention saying that natural Israel no longer has any destiny, that the actual land of Israel doesn't have any significance anymore, that the Jew is, is, isn't anything. It, it's those that get saved and, and are absorbed into the, into the church that matter. And so they take whole portions of scripture now and they're beginning to say it's irrelevant that, that, that God is coming for a spiritual Israel made up of Jew and Gentile. Well, while that is an aspect of the truth that we're made up of Jew and Gentile, Paul settled the issue in Romans chapter 11 or 10 or 11 in there, I believe, where he told us, the Gentile church, not to boast ourselves against natural Israel. As a matter of yeah. fact, he said in the great wisdom of God that the blinding of natural Israel was actually the mm -hmm. brilliance of the Lord in order that in the end of time, that specific blinding of them could be accounted as them rejecting the Messiah in ignorance under the providence of God in order to save the Gentile nations, right? But he's ultimately going to take the blinders off. But in the meantime, he wants us to understand we've been grafted in into the natural tree, the olive tree, right? We've been grafted in, so we're not supposed to boast ourselves against them, nor to count them as being uh, no longer in a covenant with God. Oh, yes, they are. And, and uh, you know, all that we've seen in the 20th century and all that's happened uh, up until this point is prophecy being fulfilled. So don't let anyone take you away from that understanding because it's a key component to understanding the times that we're living in. So with all that said, <laughs> we come to this parable because this is what Jesus is basically telling them. Just before he's about to to leave the temple permanently, he will never return again. And and then he goes out in Matthew 24 and sits on the Mount of Olives and begins to unfold the entire history of the final age uh, up until the coming of the Lord. As he has his disciples gathered around him and they ask him, "What shall be? Uh, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the age?" And he goes on from Matthew 24 onward begin to unfold some of the most extraordinary truth that we're just now beginning to see in fullness transpire in our times. So much of what happened when he came in uh, the Passover uh, of the final week of his public ministry and his first coming uh, was really to confront the leadership because the leadership uh, represents the whole of the nation. 
And so he, he confronts them. And, and then uh, as, as he's, he's winding up his public ministry in the last couple of days here, he drops this story on them. Brother Jeremy, can you read verse 1 through 7 with that in mind as we, as we continue? And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage, but they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Incredible. So the first seven verses, what he reveals to them, is what's going to happen to them because they rejected the king. And it's incredible when you actually think about it because the invitation was being extended to natural Israel. At that point, the very thing that they had claimed that they had been anticipating for hundreds of years, for centuries, the coming of the son of David, the coming of the Messiah, what they said they were looking for isn't exactly what they were actually looking for. They didn't want what he was offering. They had reached this point in their history where it really didn't matter. You know, and that's what, that's, that's what he's digging into right there and exposing really what their hearts were all about. They knew he was talking to them. The Bible says so here. Look, uh, would you read verse 45 of chapter 21, Brother Jeremy? Chapter 21, verse 45. Listen to what it says about them. And when the chief priest and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. And so then what did they do, Brother Jeremy, verse 46? But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. It's an extraordinary thing the Bible really does right there. Um, just the intensity of this high-level exchange between the son of the living God and the rulership. Again, we've emphasized many times, Jesus isn't talking to some little pastor out in the middle of the desert somewhere here. He's dealing with the personification of rebellion at the highest levels of the religious elite. And he's, remember, he's come into the, after three and a half years, he's come into Jerusalem. He's only days away from Calvary and the resurrection, but he's got one final thing he needs to deal with here because for three and a half years, the hand was extended to them and they continually fought him at every single turn. But what we learn from this in verse 45 is they knew he was talking to them and he was, he was specifically addressing them. That's the ruling class. And, and uh, if, if we, <laughs> I mean, to think of the level of demonic control and rejection of God's only son, because it's after that statement that we just read there uh, that he goes right into the kingdom of heaven. And, and by telling them the very next parable, he's telling them and foretelling 
in the story form why they were guilty, what they were guilty of, and what was going to happen to them. And what's extraordinary to me, brothers, here is that is that by this story, we know that the invitation or the time of the marriage had arrived. In verse 4, it says, again, as he's in the middle of his story telling them the story, he says, again, he sent forth his servants telling them. What does he tell them? Telling those that were invited, behold, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things already come to the marriage so what he is revealing to them is it's time remember when jesus came from the mount of olives on his way into jerusalem that week he paused and and surveyed the city and the bible says he began to weep uh precisely because he would say how is it that you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And and then he said, and now your house is left to you desolate. He knew what was going to happen. That's one thing we could explore from that angle. But this is really interesting to me because he declares to them in the story that the invitation to you is now here. It's ready. And, and the timing of it has arrived. But the next verse goes on to reveal in verse 5. Could you read verse 5 again, Brother Jeremy? But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. Very interesting. And, and I don't want to get too far off, you know, from what we're focusing on right now. But again, as we said, the message is is a cycle. I want you to consider this. Just as the time had arrived for natural Israel, because that's what Jesus is teaching in this story, had they, think about this, had they accepted the invitation, had they stepped aside and welcomed the Son of the living God, he would have become their Messiah. But of course, what do we know? God knew all along, right? There was, there was an issue and questions of sin, and we know that there was no other way. But the invitation still had to be extended, and the time indeed had come. I don't know what would have happened other than we might gain some kind of an insight as to what God spoke to the nation of Israel through Moses when he told them that he had raised them up to be a nation of, of kings and priests, and that they were specifically being tasked with with the job of going out into the Gentile nations of the world, that was their ultimate destiny, and to preach, you know, <laughs> the gospel of of Israel, basically, right? You know, there's only one God. You know, there's only one creator of us all. You know, they were supposed to convert the nations to God. Instead, the nations converted them to idolatry and paganism. But when we get to this point and we're talking about history being a cycle, just as natural Israel in the first century had reached that full, full time where the time had come and the marriage had been, you know, everything's prepared, um, the, and they rejected it, the leadership that is, the same thing is happening in our time. Israel was judged, and, and, and it was the Israel and the rulership at their level was judged for, uh, for rejecting the timing and the invitation of God. 
And so they came up under incredible judgment. Well, God isn't going to be any different with the ruling religious leadership of the church in our time. Just as Israel was judged, so the Gentiles who claim to be the caretakers of God's word, just as natural Israel were the caretakers of the Torah, so the, the, the Gentile church at the end of the age is the caretaker of the whole Bible. And when the Lord has sent his prophets, like Jesus was teaching there to them, I sent you my servants, uh, you know, and, and you rejected it. I, they, they were telling you the time is drawing at hand, John being the final one, right? Jesus said, you know, uh, from uh, from from uh, the the time of the judges through the prophets up till John. So he kind of concluded John as being the final servant before the Son of God. They ended up rejecting him, and and so the same thing is happening now. What's interesting is that component. I think Brother Jeremy wanted to share something about that earlier when we were talking about it before we started recording. In verse five, what you saw about one going to his farm and another to his merchandise in light of what we're talking about. Tell us what you were thinking about how they were. Um, yeah, they made light of it, and and what we see here is, is is I think it's very symbolic that the Bible speaks about someone to to his farm and another to his merchandise, and I think that's very symbolic of uh, eco- the the economy, right? Money, yes, and uh, mm-hmm. and and that's really what 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 stopped them, you know, from accepting this Messiah is is what it would cost them or what they really were really what their hearts were. And that is no difference than today. In the midst of everything that is happening, the same has happened. They don't want to admit, they don't want to receive this new kingdom. They want to continue to keep and float and keep their businesses or churches, whatever they, they you know, they call them alive. So that that's what I was seeing a little bit as you know uh, as I was reading it this morning. Yeah, it's very good. And and then and also think let's let's look at this a little further here because in relation to the to the last days because that's what this is really about. Prophecy is yeah. is a cycle. It will return. It has returned. We know that those who are engaged in 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 commerce, right, will not be able to be engaged in it save they partake in the system of the Antichrist, right? The beast system of autonomy. So we see here the same kind of foreshadow in the story of what will be at the end of time. And then the persecution that comes against his servants in verse 6, as a result of it, the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them, right? This is, this is a, a foreshadow of the end of time as well, because that's exactly what's going to happen. If you want to participate in the final day economy, you're going to have to be part of the system. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody. It's going to be an obvious thing. You know, from the book of Revelation, we know that it's going to be an act of choice to worship the beast and his system. So you're not going to come into this system not knowing what you're doing. So don't think, you know, but, but what we do see is in the framework of what they've already, you know, positioned themselves well uh, to, to transition into that kind of future economy that's not too many days, you know, far away from us, there will be an added component to it, which is the taking of a mark or some sort of participatory um, mark on the forehead, the right hand, the number of his name as the book of Revelation describes it. You're going to know what you're doing. It's at that point. 
and and for reasons of that point that the delineating line will be finally seen at the end of time where the saints of God cannot take the mark and 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 those who go to their farm and merchandise will become part of the system and so permanently seal their fate the persecution Brother, Brother Marty. emerges from that go ahead and also by them rejecting the timing or the invitation that we're talking about in essence they are rejecting the person of Jesus Christ in exactly John right. 543 right in John 543 uh Jesus would tell them I am come in my father's name and ye receive me not if another shall come in his own name him you will receive so yeah in essence by rejecting the invitation the time right of it had come yeah. They were rejecting the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah. That's right. And then he goes on to talk about in verse 7 what their fate would be of the first century and also at the end of time. It's there if you can see it. Can you read verse 7? But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. See, that's what would happen to the first century Jewish nation uh, because of their rejection of the timing and and their and their greed and their and their and their desire for other things besides uh, coming to to the wedding. You know, if you think about what that means is in, in relation to what actually happened. The issue was we will not have this man to rule over us, right? <laughs> the issue was, uh, you know, uh, we have no king but Caesar. That's where they that's where they came to, and and we're we're really happy about our position and our power. That level of of de <laughs> demented thinking, wrapped wow. in the robes of of religion, is incredible to me, because it was a miniature picture of the overall experience that we're now entering into here at the end of time. Uh, th the same thing is happening. The established yeah. religious ruling elite, honestly, uh, have, have reached this point themselves. So what happened in 70 AD is the Roman army came and they burned the city to the ground. What will happen at the end of time, which is not that far ahead of us, is the same thing will happen. The armies of the Lord, the Lord of hosts will come and his mighty angel, and they will burn up the city with fire, so to speak. They will judge the whole world. So he stops there, and then he tells them what's going to happen. He speaks directly to his servants, which at this point become the disciples, really, and he tells them something, that they, uh, that, that the wedding is ready. This is extraordinary. <laughs> the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden are not worthy to be part of the, mm. the wedding, okay? Mm. So now we transition into the next 2,000 years of Gentile history in this story. And, and that's where he goes on and, and uses this, these phrases. Can you, can you read that, Brother Jeremy, verse 9 and 10? Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, 
and the wedding was furnished with guests. All right, so there's a lot that he says here. He like fast forwards from verse 9 through the end of verse 10. And and we've really just gone through the entirety of, of church history here. The highway is always significant of, of the world in the way that the Lord is using it here. And so they go out and they leave the original invited ones to their fate, which is their city's going to be burned. And then he's going to send his servants out telling them that that the original intent has has been judged but now you need to go into the highways this is this is what happened over the last 2000 years i was doing some mathematical calculation here this morning and i was thinking about the, the the same amount of time that was given from abraham until christ came was approximately 2000 years some set the date uh, between 2100 and 2000 bc as the time of Abraham when the promises were made until the time of Christ. So that would, that would put us at around, you know, 1900 plus or close to 2000 years when Christ made his appearance to the Jews. So it's interesting to me, I think that if the pattern holds, and I'm not trying to set dates or numbers, I'm just saying it's, it, it, it would, wouldn't surprise me if the cycle for the Gentile world was just as much as it was to the Jewish world. The Jews had 2000 years between Abraham and Christ and and is it it's possible that the Gentile world itself is coming to the end of their two thousand year cycle and and he will return just as Jesus appeared the first time at the end of two thousand years, give or take a few years. It's quite possible he's coming quickly at the end of two thousand years again, and the same scenario will present itself only this time. those that reject Christ will be the ruling elite at 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 the Gentile church level. And, and and they're more entrenched in the things of this world and political power and religious power than they are in desiring and longing to go to the wedding. You don't hear people preaching about the coming of the Lord anymore. You just don't. You don't see the preachers pointing the people to the wedding. Right? You just don't. But you do hear them pointing you to political power, to political candidates, to uh, you know, to sending them money, to maintaining their religious institutions, all of that. But it's almost as if God is an annoyance should he come and break up the party, right? So this is what we see here in, in verse 9. Is going into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid the marriage. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus would say the gospel was, right? As many as you shall find. Notice there's no – he's revealing grace here. He didn't say go into the highways and then, you know <laughs> – give them a whole list of prerequisites before they can come to the wedding. He's actually revealing that the gospel is a gospel of grace. If any man thirst, let him come. And that's why we see them going into the highways and as many as they find, tell them to come, invite them to come. And so verse 10, he goes and says, so they went out to the highways and they gathered as many as they found. And he uses this phrase, both bad and good. So that's that's really interesting, right? Because <laughs> that kind of flies in the face of of you know of a lot of things, religiously speaking. But really, there's you know the early church scholars said it really was would be better interpreted this way: go uh, into the highways, gather together as many as you find, 
both known or actually both unknown and known. That's actually the better translation. So good, bad and good, you could say that. But but to the Jewish mind, remember, everybody that was bad was Gentile. So what Jesus <laughs> what Jesus is uh, preaching to these guys is a radical thing. It's insulting to them. Were you going to say something, brother? <laughs> that's good. No, that's good, brother. Bad. bad. Yeah. Gentiles. That's us. Okay. Yeah. That's us. But I can see. I, I can see. I can see how that would be offensive, right, to the Jews, right, <laughs> and how radical yeah. that would sound to them. You know, because they they were the cream of the crop. They were the chosen ones. You know, and <laughs> we're second class. But now the invitation is extended even unto us, the Gentiles. Bad. Exactly. God. And and we thank God for that. But see, he's 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 hiding this right in front of their eyes. He's telling the story. But when they heard bad, they think Gentile, and that's outrageous because we're the chosen people, right? But he doesn't stop with just the bad. He says the good. So what he was actually preaching to them is that throughout the next couple thousand years, really, my church is going to be made up of the stranger and the people that I know. It's going to be both Jew and Gentile. What a revelation. I mean, this is what he's preaching, which is so radical because they had been taught for so long that they were the exclusive ones. Even when you get into their commentaries, which I have plenty of them, and you read the writings of the elders and the sages of old, I mean, I'm talking some 1,500, 2,000 years ago. I have some of those writings here that I've read. They still present themselves as the exclusive, um, you know, favorites of the Lord. And and that the rest of us <laughs> Gentiles are just these horrible people. I mean, they 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 really really believe that, and and their idea and their concept of God saving the rest of the world was so amazing and foreign to them. That's why Paul said, and he, and he used the example of Moses when he came down from the mountain, that his face was shining with such glory and radiance that he had to put a veil over his face because they couldn't look at the light of it. And Paul used that example as saying. That's what's happened to the Jews the last 2,000 years. The glory of, of of the gospel and the glory of God that appeared to them was too brilliantly, too brilliant. They couldn't look at it. And so his, their eyes have been veiled uh, in order that we might be saved, right? But here he's revealing that. My church is going to be, or the wedding is going to be made up of both the unknown and the known. It's going to be Jew and Gentile. Now, when we get to the concluding part of verse 10, we've reached the end of time because it says, and the wedding was furnished with guests. It's concluded. It's filled. And then we accelerate into verse 11 and 12 and something really interesting he says there. Can you read that, brother? And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. He was speechless. So we know that when the wedding is furnished with guests, the end of time has come. Let's take a look at that really quick in Revelation chapter 19. Look at this. Because... 
when we get to Revelation 19, we're wrapping things up here in the prophetic scriptures. But we, we can learn from there several things. What the wedding garment is and also the timing of, of, the, of the wedding being furnished with guests. It's just prior to the return of the Lord. Now take a look at this. If you don't mind, Brother Jeremy, reading to us verse 7 uh, through 9. Keeping in mind, we're talking about the wedding being furnished with guests and those who have wedding garments. Could you read that? Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So the marriage is the marriage supper of the Lamb that he's talking about here. The garment is the white fine linen that has been given to them. That's grace. And this is the, this is the righteousness of the saints. And so when we go back to Matthew 22, when Jesus says that, that the wedding is furnished, he has really uh, taken us all the way through the book of Revelation at the end when the marriage supper has come. Everybody's there now. And there are some events that are about to happen. It's concluded. And so the first thing he does is he comes to see the guests. He comes to see the guests. And he sees a man which doesn't have on the wedding garment. Very interesting phraseology there. And I could dig into it in multiple ways, but the emphasis is going to be on this. Who is he talking about here when he says uh, in verse 12? Can you read verse 12, Brother And And he said unto him, friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. He was speechless. His ultimate fate is to be, can you read verse 13, Brother Jeremy, what his ultimate fate is going to be? Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So his ultimate fate is to be bound and cast into outer darkness. Uh, and there'll be weeping or regret and, and lament, right? That's basically what that means. Let's take a look here. So he comes and he uses the interesting term friend in verse 12. Now, if you're a friend, why would you be bound hand and foot and cast out into outer darkness? He's talking at a very deep level here. And there's, you know, there's, there's surface things we could draw from it, you know, and, and I've heard many sermons on this particular part. You got to have a wedding garment on, on, right. Uh, or you're not part of the church, which is true. All those things you could teach out from here. But here he specifically now, the wedding is, is furnished. The timing is, is specific. And we just read it in Revelation 19. It's when the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. And it's interesting who comes there and, and, and tries to, 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 to be part of the feast, so to speak. And he calls him friend. Now, there's two ways to look at this. It's it's an unusual reference. He's not either he's 
he's not this one way to look at it is this he's saying what what's wrong with you why why haven't you put on your garment my friend but really if you dig into the original language he's in in many ways being sarcastically angry that's really how we should interpret it and and the way he's actually speaking it it's in a sarcastic manner you're supposed to be my friend right you're supposed to be my friend really uh where's your garment you know you're you're not going to have any right to what's about to happen here now yes you can go down all the different paths he's talking about the jews who rejected him so forth and so on but i think he's going deeper here and the reason that is and we're going to have to to take and let scripture you know interpret scripture here but friend it's a very unusual uh, you know phrase like we said and this is it's more revealed you know like we're saying there's more revealed here in that because he's saying it sarcastically and and so when we dig into it you have to go find that phrase in other places to see now let's take a look at this in uh in matthew 20 uh <laughs> let's see where this is matthew i think it's 26 26 Matthew 26, yeah. Turn over there, Brother Jeremy. And read to us verse 48 through 50. Now he that betrayed him gave him a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. All right. So here we have that same term, the word that he uses there. He calls Judas Iscariot a forerunner of the Antichrist, a foreshadow of the Antichrist. But let's take it a little deeper because we know what John told us in the account of the supper which is a type of that marriage supper in the end. Remember what Jesus said at the marriage supper uh, or at the Passover when he told his disciples, I will not drink this cup again until I drink it with you in the kingdom. Because he was referencing that future marriage feast that we're going to have with the Lord. But sitting at the table is one that the Bible says is the deceiver, the destroyer, the the, the betrayer of the Lord. And the Lord said, uh, exposed him by saying that it's the same person that's going to dip his piece of bread in, in the bowl as I do. That's the one. And we know from the story that when Judas dipped the bread at the same time as the Lord, and the Lord gave him the piece of bread, uh, uh, and he ate that bread, that Judas, it says, became possessed with the devil. So in many senses, what we're seeing here in this story, when he calls him friend, is 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 a repeat really of referencing one particular creature i believe he's referencing satan himself and and the reason i say that is because he's going to be that is the beast and the false prophet right his sons his children that's why he refers to him as a man he's possessed with the devil and he's going to bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness that's what's going to happen to the antichrist that's what's going to happen to uh, the false prophet that's also what's going to happen to Satan himself. He will be bound and cast into outer darkness or the bottomless pit, if you want to call it either one. Both phrases don't contradict each other. And he will be cast into outer darkness. He'll be cast into the bottomless pit. What's interesting 
is that he comes into the wedding feast and and really it's almost as if he's trying to tell us uh, something by what he tells us in the next thing. Can you read verse 12 to us again, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. He uses that phrase, he was speechless. Now that's an interesting phrase that the Lord uses there. Because it comes from the Greek word, uh, which to say it in the Greek is it's fimo or fimu. You could say fimu. It's how it's spelled phonetically. Uh, it's the Greek word fimu, which means to muzzle something. Now stay with me here because this is very interesting phrasing. He's muzzled. That's what Jesus is saying. It wasn't that he was speechless and couldn't talk. This is a proactive action. He was actually muzzled. He was not allowed to speak. And then he's bound and cast away. He's referencing Satan here. And I'm going to show you some things here really quick where we find the same word. It's a very unusual word, fimu. And it's only used a couple times in the scripture in the New Testament. But in, 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 in many of the cases, there's two or three, I think, four different uses of it. But we're going to hone in on these two particular places so you can see the same pattern. Let's turn over to Mark the Gospel of Mark, real quick. Chapter 1. I can feel some of you now starting to get interested. That's good. <laughs> Praise God. Now listen, we have in Jesus' parable uh, a reference to an uninvited guest, really. But he thinks that he can come and be part of the whole ceremony. He sarcastically calls him friend, not as, as though he was once considered to be, but now he's not. And it, it, it's almost like a, <laughs> yeah, here you are, right? But, okay, so look at, and we're talking about the word fimu, now that he, he's speechless, he has nothing to say. It's a proactive word where it appears what Jesus is saying is he's going to be muzzled. He will, he will be not allowed to speak anymore. And, and we see the same pattern here in Mark's gospel when we get to the same word, fimu, which means to be muzzled. Could you read that to us, Brother Jeremy, this little story here in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 25? And they went into Capernaum, and straightway, on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. Very interesting, because this is the other place that Jesus uses that word uh, for speechless, fimu. When he says, hold thy peace, it's the same word as speechless, fimu. It means he was basically muzzling this unclean spirit. But what we see here when he uses that word, uh, which is the same word he used in his parable that we've been looking at this morning, 
it's a very interesting scenario because he's in the house of God. He's with his his people. Um, they're they're in, they're they're there together with the Lord in the house of God in the synagogue, but there's an uninvited guest, right? The unclean spirit, and in many ways that's what we see in in his parable of the marriage at the end of time is what he's referencing. There will be one that comes among them, but he doesn't have on a wedding garment. Just as the Lord is in his house here, and they all gather into his house, there's one among them. He it's termed here as a man that has an unclean spirit. And he rebukes him and uses the same word to muzzle him. He exercises his authority over him and casts him out. The only uh, It's one of the only other places he uses the same word he uses in the parable. And so we can see from that that it's, it's a foreshadow. Because the garment is the righteousness of the saints, right? It's, 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 it's those that have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, the second place that he uses this is in Mark Chapter 4. Can you read that in Mark chapter 4? Do us, Brother Jeremy. Uh, I guess we could start uh, verse 37 through 39. Could you read that? And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awaken, and say unto him, Master, carest thou, thou not that we perish? And he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, when it says that he re- arose, and he rebuked the wind, uh, and then he says, Peace, be still. It's the same word. It's fimu. He's muzzling the wind. He's muzzling the storm. Now, if you'll read the rest of this on your own time, what you'll see in the same use of the word, it, it again is a foreshadow of an end time event, even though it's an actual thing that happened. What happened is a is a prophecy uh, in, in its larger and deeper meaning of what will happen in our time. Understand, there's this massive storm, and the storm was designed to destroy his disciples. And and he arises and rebukes it or muzzles the wind. The storm was a satanic storm. <laughs> Remember this, because it crosses over into chapter 5 where we have the story of the demoniac from Gadara. Right, And when you read the way Mark writes it, Jesus goes into the territory, which was a territory of 10 cities. Now, understand this, and I know I'm getting deep for some of you, but, you know, hang with us and listen to this again. You'll learn something, prayerfully speaking, and humbly so. Uh, these 10 cities were controlled by the Roman government. They were an outlying territory, but they're very symbolic of the 10 regions of the world that will be in existence not too many days from now. And so when we see a storm at the end of time, Jesus is going to come and rebuke it. And he's going to muzzle it just like he muzzles the uninvited guest at the wedding feast, just like he muzzled the unclean spirit in the synagogue, exercising authority. And he muzzles the satanic storm seeking to destroy his children. The ultimate intent is to bring deliverance to the whole planet, represented by this demoniac from Gadara, because he will cast it out. 
And what he does is he he sends him into the great sea. That's where he's going to go, right? And and he casts the devils out in chapter five. Go ahead and read it. Remember what they did? They go. He they asked him to, you know, let him let him go somewhere else. And they ended up going into all those pigs, two thousand of them, by the way. And they fall off the cliff into the ocean or into the sea. It's really speaking about that great judgment of the Lord. The point being, we're talking about the Lord using the same word, which he rarely uses throughout all his teachings and throughout the New Testament. I think there's only five references to it. Here in this second example, we see the muzzling of a satanic storm. So really, let's go back. <laughs> let's go back here. Go ahead, brother. This is incredible. And if I may add something to this, in, in the way the Lord uh, showed me about this story, specifically about the part of the parable where after two, you know, which is symbolic of 2,000 years passing, and now we see the end of time, right, here where he calls him yeah. friend. And then what we read, you gave the example here in chapter 1. Remember Mark gives the accounts of the Lord's ministry in a chronological order? I'm, am I correct in that? Uh is, yeah. Is it, is it Mark? Yeah. I, I, uh, and, yeah. Go ahead. No, Luke does, but go ahead. Luke does. Yes, yes, Luke does. But what we see here in Mark, and I think the point that I want to make is that as Jesus enters into this temple, this this manifestation of this demonic um, <laughs> whom he, he he muzzles wasn't just anybody. He was a he was a a person of of society that was a regular attendee of that place. Mm -hmm. And it is not until Jesus comes that he is ex uh, exposed, you know what I mean? And it manifests yes. itself. And yes. it just makes me think that right before the judge, we know that the devil has been given but a short time. Right. Yes. But when Jesus comes, he muzzles him. But telling us that this person was in the midst of God's people, in the midst of the temple. And I think it's, yes. And and it's I think it's uh, very alarming that the people could not discern that, or maybe were used to it. They could not discern it. It wasn't until Jesus came that that comes out and manifests itself. I don't know. And, and so I'm just trying to make no, 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 that's, the that's, no, that's a good, that's a good point to make. And what you make me think about by sharing that, which is very true, is is let's go back to Matthew 22 here because he he calls him friend. He's actually addressing the devil. But at, at a much higher, and, a, and, a, and in another subtext, if you will, not a much higher level, but at, a, at, a, at, a, at another subtext that we could look at here, what he's actually saying to the children of Israel, their re religious leaders, is you're controlled by the spirit of Satan, and you're in charge of the temple, right? Mm. And, and you're supposed to be my friend. Yeah, right. That's kind of what he's saying. But he's, he's actually addressing the devil himself, inhabiting whether it's the Antichrist, because he, he uses the term man, or Israel as one man, Israel my son, Jacob my servant, you know, however you want to call it, uh, he, he references the collective body, and here he's referencing the uninvited guest that pres presumes to be a friend, but really has no access to the wedding, because the wedding uh, is, is the only invitation that, that is, the, what's the right word, you know, the, uh, the key to get in is the wedding mm -hmm. garment, right, which is the righteousness of the saints, which the devil and his children have none of. But in this specific thing, like I've given you two things. One was the synagogue example where he uses the word fimu, which is where we get 
that word speechless here that we're talking about. Because when he <laughs> when he asks him, why don't you have on righteousness? It's basically what he's talking to him. That's what he's saying. That's what this wedding garment is. We just read it in Revelation 19 that, that the wedding garment is the righteousness of the saints, the fine linen that they put on as they go into the wedding feast. Um, here, the wedding garment represents that righteousness, and he's addressing one that he calls friend. I took you over and showed you how he called Judas a friend. I talked to you about the supper at the past supper where where the where Satan enters Judas, Judas himself. So when he's speaking to Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's actually speaking to the devil because he has fully taken possession of Judas the man. But when he's addressing him, he calls him friend using the same language he uses here, the same words, <coughs> which means that he was speaking to Satan himself. This is a pattern repeated. We're going to close with this. It's just, it's just a teaching, but I think we're coming to these days again in Isaiah 14. Because he did the same thing then. And he'll do the same thing at the end. Only this time he's going to be finally bound hand and foot and cast into the bottomless pit, right? I think that's what Jesus is saying when he says cast him into outer darkness. And so will his children. And so will the false prophet. And so will the Antichrist himself. But we see the pattern repeated again in Isaiah 14 that we saw repeated at the Passover. We taught on this very deep subjects. But yeah. when you see Judas sitting at the at, at the at the Passover table, you're seeing a a repeat in the natural world, in the natural dimension at the Passover season of something that happened in the dateless past. The devil came to the festival. The devil came to the table. The devil was cast out. Isaiah 14, let's read that, as he describes yes. Lucifer. Go ahead. That's tremendous, brother. And I think this scripture, too, that 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 is there, that David alludes to, it's actually found in Psalm 41, 9, it's just concerning what you're saying, where he says, my own familiar friend, Yes. In whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. I think that's prophetically speaking also about what Jesus, you know, what happened in Judah, you know, in, in Jesus, who sat at the table of Jesus. Right. My own familiar friend in whom I trusted, <laughs> which did eat of my bread and hath lifted up his heel against me. So I think David also alludes to that. Uh, well, David, betrayal. right. David. David speaking by the spirit of Christ in him, right? And, yes. and 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 again, don't don't miss what I was saying to you, and I believe the scriptures is teaching us when Jesus addressed Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane as friend, he's not talking to Judas. He's talking to the devil, yeah. talking to mm -hmm. Satan. Because the Bible mm -hmm. tells us that when Judas ate the bread, Satan entered him. Entered. Right? And so when you reference uh, King David there and what he wrote, my own familiar friend, with that kind of logic that we're discussing, that takes it to a whole different level of understanding uh, what's actually transpiring and, and what's repeating at the end of time, but also what happened before time. And that's what we see here in Isaiah 14, verse 12 through uh, 13, could you read that, Brother Jim? Yes. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? 
How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. So this is incredible here, and I don't want to dig into this <laughs> as much as we can. Yeah. And we have in the right as much as we can or, or and, and we have in the past but this phrase that he uses here in verse 13 i will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north that term for for uh, uh the congregated place it, it literally means uh a festival or a feast in heaven or a wedding in heaven that's literally what it, it can mean all those things a set aside time that is appointed for a festival a feast now i don't want to get into the mystery of that as to what that means and what are you talking about a festival in heaven well this is this is this isn't bible 101 and we're at the end of our study here my point is <laughs> i believe that when jesus is referencing this friend as brother jeremy quoted king david as we quoted friend in the garden of gethsemane the muzzling of that friend speechless we use the examples of of the uninvited guest in the synagogue the unclean spirit we use the example of the satanic storm that sought to kill the disciples and jesus as they were heading heading to the gentile world to deliver it the type of the whole world when he comes to cast the demon out of the man from gadara and then they're banished into 2000 swine as they they're drowned in the sea all of that is so incredibly profound but again it's that same word the muzzling but here we see one coming into the festival. He's known as Lucifer. He wants to sit there amongst them. But he's exposed for having no righteousness. And he's cast out. He's cast out of heaven. And, and that's what's going to happen, what Jesus was revealing in that parable, was that when we come to the end of time, when the wedding is furnished with guests, the end will come and he will be dealt with. He will seek to come amongst us in many ways. But remember what it says the king goes to see right the wedding and see that it's full of guests so that that speaks of his second coming and at the second coming is when he deals with the one the fake friend really the one that has no righteousness he's going to bound him and 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 he's going to cast him into outer darkness much as he did here because that's what he goes on to say in verse 14 and 15 can you read that i will ascend above the heights of the clouds i will be like the most high yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit sides of the pit <laughs> right so we have the same thing you tried to come sit amongst us you came at a festival season you sat with the children of god but you have no righteousness you will be brought down you will be cast out into outer darkness really right the sides of the pit so it's interesting that the, the interplay between you know, this man and this friend. and It's because we have pictures here of the Antichrist. We have pictures here of the false prophet. We have pictures here of Satan himself. You know, all of it coming together. Satan himself being bound in, in Revelation 20. That's what's going to happen to him. Can you read Revelation chapter 20, verse, uh, Brother Jeremy, uh, where yeah. it talks about him being bound? Revelation 20. Uh, Let's see. Yeah. Can you read to us? Uh, 
verse 1 and 2. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And then it says in verse 3, he, he cast him into the bottomless pit. He shuts him up. <laughs> he shut him Hallelujah. up and set to be a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, right? So that's kind of what he did. He comes into this wedding feast in his parable, right? Uh, and he sits amongst the good and the bad, right? The stranger and those that are known, the Jew and the Gentile. And and he, he sits as a deceiver, right? It's the king that identifies him, though. You don't have a garment. Now take him out of here once and for all. Bind, bind him hand and foot and cast him out. Well, we see that happen here in Revelation 20, right? He He's bound hand and foot and he's cast out. And so are the the, the beast and the false prophet, the Antichrist and the false prophet, in verse 20 of chapter 19. Can you read that, Brother David? And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, and which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. We see them being cast out, right, from the planet, cast out from from the uh, when the Lord returns. The king comes to inspect, right? And we don't got time to get into all the other scriptures, but this is what Jesus was saying to them uh, in his parable. Can we go back and let's close with Matthew 22 here in Matthew 23. That's what we see now in verse 12 and 13. Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, he said, but few yes. are the chosen. This calling, this this great invitation to what God is doing, has been an invitation that that has echoed down through the ages, not just the last six thousand plus years of human history, we, uh, but but through the ages of 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 unmeasurable time. The lack of a better word, I don't even know how to define it. It's the dateless past. It's the eons and the ages of before. It's before material creation even it's into those places that we go and and what god is doing the many have been called through the ages and and we don't have time to explore all these these thoughts and concepts today but you're talking about real structure here you're talking about governments and and principalities and powers and 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 uh, and domains that have been created by our great heavenly father built by the Lord Jesus Christ and brought to life by the Holy Spirit. All three are one. And throughout the ages, there was one who came into the congregation uh, in the dateless past and sat amongst them, but he was cast out. Jesus is revealing the same thing here, his ultimate fate for his false prophet, his antichrist, his son himself will be to be bound and all his children 
and 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 they, and he will be muzzled. They will no longer be allowed to speak. So the many that are called are not only amongst us, but all those that that were of his family who rejected his rule. It's an incredible thing that the Bible appears to be telling us here. But the chosen, that's his people, that's his children. It was always his intent. It was always his intent to have a family. In creating the highest being ever made uh, in, in Lucifer, he was the highest ever made. He said he sealed up the sum, right? He describes him as the anointed cherub that covered. He is that friend who fell into unrighteousness and who refused God's plan. And he will seek to come amongst us, which he does at the end of time. He will seek to be part of those things, but the Lord leaves a hint there at his ultimate fate and that he will be bound, him, his false prophet, the man, right, friend, all that stuff we've been talking about. And they will be no more. And the many that were called, uh, it traverses unknown quantity, if you will, not only in humanity, but throughout the ages. Well, the Bible gives us hints at rulers, principalities, powers, many of which rebelled. And so this great drama that we find ourselves in at the end of time, it connects us to an ever-unfolding, incredibly spectacular display of the will and the purposes of our great Heavenly Father and our King Jesus, right? So we're headed to something. We're getting closer every day. And, and above all, what we do know and what we take comfort in is he's ultimately going to be cast out and he will be no more. And, and those who, who rejoiced and received what he brought to us, that is salvation, right, <laughs> shall go on to the next phase and the next ages that the Heavenly Father has prepared for all who love him. Amen, brothers. Anything else? Can you guys close out with some thoughts? That was uh, an incredible uh, insight there to uh, um, the story of the Gadarene um, and and what is what is hidden there, right? Yeah. Um, in, in in the whole process, it's, it's a deeper, deeper uh, understanding of the eternal battle that has been raging. And I, I guess we, we we continuously see that pattern unfolding in Scripture. And I guess the question would be, why is God so interested in revealing to us this eternal battle, this eternal war that has been ongoing and, ra and, and raging for millennia, right, uh, through these gospel stories or stories that we read in Scripture? It's, it's a great um, a mystery, right? And that's, that's, that's really what... The words the Apostle Paul used that the mystery right of the gospel um, and and there's the reason why the Lord hid information concerning this eternal war that has been ongoing before the, you know me, me and you were created mankind and, and put on this earth um, I think and, and you, you, you could probably answer the question why is that the Lord's doing it but I think that um, a lot of the church today is lacking knowledge and information, uh, and it's not preached uh, about what took place 
in the rebellion, or what really, or the depths of it, or what took place in the rebellion of, of Satan or Lucifer then, um, you know, and, and how it is affecting us today. Because in order to understand why we are today, we have to understand how it all begun. Correct? Yes. And so it's it's quite fascinating that the what took place in the beginning, we are now in our day, in our day, and we're blessed because of it. We're starting to see the unfolding or the, the culmination of it, you know, uh, playing itself out in the earth. Yes. And to me, that is... You know, I, I think about it, and I'm like, whew. I agree. You know, <laughs> you know you're like, yeah. wow. Like, yeah. This is intense stuff. Like, this is unfolding in my day. Yes. But there's a reason the Lord hid all these things in these stories, and in particular, the story of the fall of Lucifer, um, which makes the redemption of mankind, and, and you know, through the shedding of, of the of the blood of the son of God and the reason for him coming to this world, the more marvelous, you know, the more incredible. Yes. Because he, he could not trip on any of the words that he declared in his word. Not one. Not one. (laughs) (laughs) Praise God. Not one. You know, we see we see that uh, in 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 Jesus' temptation in the wilderness that um, that's exactly what the enemy was trying to do is is to use <laughs> to use the word against the word, right? Incredible, yeah. Jesus Christ, praise God. Um, but but he fulfilled every word because he is the word. So it's yes. quite fascinating, and, and we have to you know ask ourselves the question. You know, have we really studied Scripture correctly throughout these last 30, 40, 50 years? Has it been taught to us correctly? Oh. Wow. You know what I mean? And that, that's, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a very staggering well, statement, but it's, you know, the more I read these stories in the last year, I'm getting more out of it, and it's the Holy Spirit that's been teaching us, right, and, and the listeners. Yes. It's the Holy Spirit that's been yes. teaching us uh, by design yes. for a reason, you know, um, and he's bringing out these truths that are hidden. You know, you, we speak about the onion, and it has layers, right, and it's just layer upon yes. layer upon layer, and we're getting closer to that middle part of the onion, right? We're just, you know, the Lord's just revealing <laughs> things that just had never yeah. been revealed to past generations. It is sealed up for us. Yes. It was sealed up for us, and it's being revealed right. unto us in these last days. Incredible. You know, without wanting to minimize the things that I've learned, because I, I grew up in the gospel from my mother's womb, you know, and while I heard these stories, you know, and I thank God, again, not to minimize, you know, what the people taught, it was very superficial, you know, that's the way you teach these stories, you know, the miracles of Jesus and the authority of Jesus Christ. But it is into later years that, you know, I began to understand that there's more, you know, there's more layers to just what we see in the outside. But even in that, it takes time 
to train, to discipline yourself, to look at that the Word of God. I'm speaking to people who have been in church all their lives like me, but it takes time, you know what I mean, a discipline. And, and I think that today the privilege and the blessing that we have today is the acceleration of how God is revealing his word to us. If you think about it, over the last year in our podcast, we've had, you know, we pretty much had a free, (laughs) a free uh, 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 intensive course on on prophecy, you know what I mean? And and God has given the revelation what has taken men of God years. I'm talking about years, 20, 30 years, brother Marty, you know, uh, as the eldest uh, spokesman, spokesman for for our team, you know you you've been you know more than thirty forty years of of, of reading this things that we are yeah. receiving and you know what I'm saying and and not yeah. just you the men who wrote books you know what I mean right. all their lives we we are indebted to them but but yeah. I think what we're saying is is we're beginning to see things the way God intended it to be especially in these last days as you said brother Fernando the onions, the parts of the layers of onions is being pulled and we're beginning to see really our purpose and what Jesus was really saying through these parables and what he was uh, telling us, taking us and really understanding everything from the beginning. Because that's the only way, as you said, we can understand the end of things is he declares the end from what? The beginning, the principle. So what we are learning, you know, we are privileged and we are blessed and we are humbled. You know, uh, and we still got a lot more to learn, but we stand on and we thank God for those who have sacrificed and given their lives to study these yeah. things that we are getting here. And and I know what I'm telling you. I, I, I've been in the seminar, you know, I've been in the seminar, you know, I studied in the seminar for a few years. And let me tell you something, uh, this ain't free. What you're getting, it's free. But what I'm saying, it, it costs something, you know, and, and we're grateful for his word and the thing. Right. I mean, we're incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, he was speaking to Satan. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. And, 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 and comparing yeah. scripture with scripture, right? Yes. Praise God. Praise God. Anything else, well, my brothers? Yeah, as, as we come to the end of today's program, I just want to let the people know that our brothers and sisters out there that are listening and maybe you just stumbled on the podcast today, we encourage you to go back and listen to to the almost uh, probably over 200 now that we've done uh, in mm-hmm. less than a year, so we, we're just praying that uh, that you'll be with us in the in the coming days and and that uh, that you are receiving from the Lord as Brother Jeremy said. So we're looking forward to the next few days. Uh, I have many things that I have to attend to this week, and so I'm leaving the uh, the the ship in the hands of, of, of brother Fernando, brother Jeremy in these next several days. And, and we're, we're really looking forward to what God uh, teaches us through, through your heart brothers. And uh, I just want to let the people know we will be back soon. Uh, but until then uh, tune in and, and, and receive from our brothers uh, as they, as they go forward and, and carry the, uh, the message forward in these next several days. And finally, I just want to ask you to please pray. Uh, for our family and uh, for my father um, as we were doing this podcast uh, uh, there's there's just some very very uh, intense things going on in his health and uh, he's he's at the hospital so we just 
we're just asking you to remember uh, the family, my wife and, and her brother and, and her mother and, and, and their family in, in your prayers. My daughters, his grandchildren. Um, it's up to the Lord. Do you know whether he stays at this point or goes? But uh, either way, we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. We are not as those without hope. Uh, we yeah. serve a resurrected Savior. And we know because of that, uh, we have a wedding garment, both good and bad. Uh, it's the righteousness given to us by our great King and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his precious blood. And my father-in-law is his servant. And so we know that uh, no matter what, and I, and I pray and encourage you out there, um, we will be together, all of us, or yeah. one day soon. We love you. We thank you, and we'll see you soon. God bless you. And uh, I'm going to close this out today. Um, may the Lord bless you. <clears throat> may the Lord keep you. And as Brother Jeremy says, as always, keep looking up. God bless.